Hey, hey, how are we doing today? Good? All right, we're going to try that again because it doesn't sound like you all are doing good, and you should be doing good. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you some reasons why you should be doing good. Um, the Chiefs are doing well this year. Yeah, yeah, my Chiefs. My Chiefs are from Kansas City. We have Schottenheimer in common, you know, because Chargers, is, they're really still a San Diego team. I don't care if they're in L.A. They're a San Diego team. Okay, now, you beat us. So congratulations, you beat our third string. Good job. But still, it's still a victory. Yay, San Diego, okay? Here's the other thing. We don't live in one of the Dakotas right now. We don't live in Boston, okay? It's nice outside. We just got done singing songs to the creator of the universe, okay? Let me ask again, how are we doing today? Good? All right. I know a lot of that was for the Chiefs. Hey. I'm so glad to be here with you. Those of you who are uh, with us in person, those of you who are joining us live streaming online right now, um, you're in your bathrobes, you're in your pajamas, where, wherever you are, just you know, stay there, don't get up, don't get something to drink, just kind of hang out there with us. Um, my name is Caleb Kaltenbach, and I'm a pastor, I'm an author. I live up north on the other side of the San Fernando Valley in a place called Simi Valley. And um, I, I love this church. I'm a good friend of Pastor Tim Spivey, and I love uh, Pastor DJ and Scotty and Riley and just so many different people here. I've, I've got a great relationship with this church. Uh, if, if you are new, like if you are joining us in person for the very first time, I hope that you come back. I really do. And, and I hope that you invite somebody with you. And, and by the way, if you're joining us live on stream online for the first time, either live right now or after the fact, I hope that you'll come and visit us in person sometime here at the Grand and Escondido at the Ritz Theater. I love New Vintage Church, and one of the reasons why I love this church is that this is a place where it's okay not to be okay, but we join arms together and we try to follow Jesus, and we try to support each other. Okay, because all of us, when you are following Jesus, you are consistently walking away from who you used to be, every single step. And so I, I love this church, and I hope that you'll come and uh, check it out again. Keep coming, bring somebody with you. It's awesome. Next week, Pastor Tim is going to be back doing Vision Sunday, so I hope that you'll definitely join us for that. There are some great things in, school, in store for 2021. Now, before we get into the sermon, let's talk 2020 real quick. Okay, it's like, oh, now it's over 2020. Okay, back in September or October on social media, one of my social media accounts, I can't remember, I said something about 2020. Because um, I don't know if you know, 2020 was really insane, right? Like it was more insane than somebody who loves Nickelback. That was how insane 2020 was, okay? And there's, there's, there's a, a person who is very well-meaning, you know those Christians, very well-meaning, it's just whew, but very well-meaning Christian. Um, which I is one, a Christian. But anyway, she, uh, I made some statement about 2020, and this again, in September, October, and she's like, you know what? I think 2020 could still be the best year ever. What? No. No, it's not. It's not the best year ever. Okay, it won't be the best year ever. Now, hear me out. I'm not saying God can't use it, because he will, and he has, and he will keep on doing so. I'm not saying that it can't be impactful because it is, but the best year ever? Okay, so you're, you're telling me that this year was even better than the year Jesus was born. It was better than the year the resurrection happened. That's probably the coup de gras, right? Right? The year that the resurrection happened, that's probably up there, I imagine, right? 
the year when 80s music started, probably up there. 2020, no, not there. It was just, it was just insane thing after insane thing. I mean, first Kobe and his daughter and all those individuals died in the helicopter crash. Did you just not feel your heart just, just sink into your stomach? And then you had the pandemic, and then you had quarantine, then we had murder hornets, okay? And New York got overrun by, you remember, cannibalistic rats? And then there were, in Florida, meth gators? Anybody remember that? When the people were dumping meth in water and gators were getting all angry? Angrier than gators already are, okay? And, and not only that, not only that, there were like, like I think a, a Middle Eastern country, they discovered all these 25 sarcophaguses filled with mummies, decided to open them. Really? You're gonna open all 25 of those. Okay, nobody's ever seen the movies. I have, I know not to open those. And I'm not even, I mean, then, then you have the racial issues and it's just like, oh my gosh, because there are some people that will not, they refuse to understand that racism is still alive in this country. And then there are some people that blame all the cops everywhere. And guess what? You can still admit that racism is alive and well and not blame all the police officers because there are some bad police officers. You all know that? There are some bad attorneys. I know it's hard to believe, but there are some bad attorneys. There are bad dentists. There are bad business owners, okay? There are, there are some bad politicians, maybe more than some, but there are some bad politicians, okay? They're bad in every single group, but yet we're still learning, you know, about racism and how far we have to go, and yet we still need to understand we can't just throw one group under the bus. It's something all of us have got to own, right? And then we get into the election. I mean, oh my gosh, dude. Oh, I was like, you know what? If there is a rapture, if there's going to be one, now, nah, please. I'm ready. That's how I felt. Anybody else resonate with that? I remember when 2016, when that election was over, I thought there's no way, no way we could have a worse election. And I can just imagine 2020 mocking me back then going, <laughs> just wait till you get here, right? Because I don't care which side of the aisle you're on, okay? That was weird and ugly in many cases, okay? In 2020, it still, it doesn't look like it's getting much better, right? I mean, seriously, we, we've had, I mean, you have that insurrection last Wednesday with people storming the Capitol, interrupting a, a, a constitutionally mandated meeting of Congress. And again, you can be on either side of the aisle. You can be Republican, you can be Democrat, you can be Libertarian, you can be Independent, you can be Mandalorian. Whatever your political perspective is, I think we can all agree, you don't do that, right? You don't storm the Capitol. What is this? This is not the Princess Bride people. I mean, seriously, 2021 does not look like it's getting much better. The best thing about 2021, you know the best thing about 2021 so far? Cobra Kai season three. That's the best thing. Yeah, yeah it's the best season yet. Best season, it's the best thing about 2021 so far. Then we have One Division starting this Friday on Disney Plus. I feel like a commercial right now. I'm just trying to grasp on to anything good right now, you know, that I can. And so here's the question that I want us to deal with today. And maybe you've asked it in some form, one way or another. What do you do when you're worried about your country? What do you do when you're worried about 
the place where you live, your country, maybe it's your city, maybe it's your state, maybe it's the global crisis, maybe it's the world, what do you do when you're worried about your country? Now, there's some of you might say, I'm not worried about my country, I know my country. Okay, well, open up your eyes, first of all. Second of all, you know, replace it with something else. What do you do when you're worried about your society? Can we all at least agree that society is not always trending in the best direction? What do you do when you're worried about where your society is trending? What do you do when you are worried about where your society has been? When you look at the testimonies and the data and everything that's happened, what do you do when you're worried about your society? Let me ask it in a different way. What do you do when you're worried about your culture? What do you do when you're worried about everything going on? What do you do? Because I don't know about you, but worry can overtake us. Anybody ever experienced that before? Worry can overtake you, and worry can make you feel like there's no hope. There's no, there's no, there's no light at the end of the tunnel that you're traveling down through. So what do you do when you're worried about your country? Because too often, many of us try to act indifferent. Many of us try to like really engage, and we become annoying on social media okay, and we become aggressive or we become passive aggressive and we lose friends and maybe we should lose friends because we're being passive aggressive or aggressive. Do you know, do you know how many times I've wanted to type something and then the Holy Spirit is like, mm. Holy Spirit is like, nope. And I'm like, but I just went, nope. Okay, love Jesus. Seriously, what do you do because a lot of us, we don't handle that well. When we are facing uncertainty about where we think our country should go, where, what we see happening in our society, what we've seen happening in our society, what has happened, what we fear of happening again, what we fear might happen, how we treat other people, when we see some of the hate and the virtual, the virtual happening in the world, what do we do when we're worried about our country, when we're uncertain? Well, before we get into scripture, I wanna set the context for the scripture that we're gonna look at today. And you're in luck because it's only a few verses. But I really need to set the stage. And I gotta introduce somebody to you. Some some of you know this person, some of you don't. You've never met this person. He's been dead for a couple thousand years, praise God. Um, And trust me, it's not a good person or else I wouldn't say praise God like that. I'm not that much of a jerk. But still, some of you may have heard of this person, some of you may not, but I gotta tell you about this person because this person is gonna set the context for the scripture that we're looking at today, for what God wants us to understand and how to react, how to respond when we're worried about our country. I want to introduce you to a guy named Nero. Now, if you don't know Nero, Nero, uh, there's, a, there's some written about him in the history books. We get a lot of information from this, uh, from this ancient historian named Suetonius who wrote a book called The Twelve Caesars, and Nero is one of the last Caesars that was mentioned in his book, one of the last of the great dynasty of Caesars before you get to a whole other dynasty of Caesars of Roman emperors. But, I mean, seriously, N- Nero's one of those names where I've never met a person named Nero. I'm not saying that any of you are not named Nero. If you're named Nero, I hope you redeem that name, as you're gonna see in just a second. I used to say there's nobody named Nero, but I stopped because I used to say there's nobody named Adolf. And one time I was preaching at a church, and this guy came up to me afterwards, and he's like, hey, my name's Adolf. I'm like, yeah, that's okay. He's like, no, my name's Adolf. He showed me his license, it said Adolf. Like, no offense, if your name is Adolf, I would go and get my name changed. It's like my parents named me Jezebel, um, or Judas. Um, you know, or Copernicus. Uh, It just doesn't flow. 
okay? And so you don't meet a lot of people named Nero. You do meet a lot of dogs named Nero, right? Usually the mean ones, usually the pit bulls, okay? But Nero, we, uh, he was born to this woman named Agrippiana, and we don't know who her original husband was. He died somehow, as you'll learn and assume in a second. There's a good chance she killed him. Um, who knows? Maybe he deserved it. I don't know. But uh, when he, she was the sister of Caligula, who was one of the Roman emperors, and she wanted power. Now, back in the first century, in first century Rome, if you were a, a, a female, and no offense, ladies, I'm just telling you history, it's not what I believe should happen, but back in the first century, women could not be Roman emperors. Women could not be world leaders in Rome, at least, in Rome. You know, different in other countries, but in Rome, um, that was not the case. And so she knew that the only way she was able to get power was to have her son, Nero, become the Roman emperor. So she marries the current Roman emperor at the time named Claudius, and then she ends up poisoning Claudius legend has it, history has it, you know, folklore, whatever you want to call it. Um, we don't know exactly how she did it, but there's a good chance that she poisoned some of the mushrooms he was eating for a meal. And Nero was so fond of that, that later on in his life, he would declare mushrooms that everybody must eat that kind of mushroom because it was through that that he became the emperor. Now, there are many problems with Nero becoming emperor, as you're going to see, but here's the first problem with Nero becoming an emperor. He became an emperor when he was like 13, 14, or 15. Let me say that again, 13, 14, or 15. At that time, a 13, 14, or 15-year-old became the most powerful person in the world. Now, there are problems with that. You might say, what do you mean? <laughs> you just wanna get on your kid's good side. If you have children, if you have had children, if you have grandchildren, if you have nieces or nephews, okay, if you're aware of somebody that has children, if you have seen a movie that has children in it, you understand immediately the problem, right? It's a big problem, okay? I have a 12-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old son. I love both of them. They are becoming tremendous disciples for Jesus and just people of character. I keep on trying to drill in their head that faith and character, you've gotta guard those. Everything else can be taken away from you, including your friends, but if, you're, if you don't invest in your character, integrity, and faith, everything can be taken away and you're gonna be left alone if you don't really build into your character and faith. Now, as much as I love my children, if my son or if my daughter were to become the President of the United States, the Emperor of the United States, I would leave. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure I would be first on their execution list. Okay, second of all, Think about your children. I know you love them. Some of you have grown children. Think about them when they were teenagers. Would you want them having access to the nuclear button? No. Yeah, we have one smart person here that just said no. The rest of you are sitting there looking at me either at home or here in person like a deer looks in the headlights before it gets hit by a car, glazed over. You're like, I just can't imagine such a world. Exactly, but back in the first century that happened. There's another problem with Nero. When he became Roman emperor, when he was like 14 or so, he was also a sociopath. That's a big problem, right? And so, how do you think he governed? Well, Nero governed. However, any spoiled, privileged, 14-year-old boy who was a sociopath would govern. First of all, he ended up having his, his younger brother named Britannicus, who was Claudius's full biological son, ended up having him killed. 
Then, and some of what I'm gonna tell you is gonna be disturbing, so I'm gonna try to be as generic as possible, but he had multiple affairs with his mom. He had multiple affairs with other women. He married his mistress. He got so mad at his mistress that he ended up yelling at her, throwing her on the ground. She was pregnant. He kicked her in the stomach over and over again until she died. And he felt sad about doing what he did. And then he saw one of his uh, servants who was a man, and he said, wow, that man looks just like my wife. Make him into a woman. Use your imagination, they did. And then he paraded her down the streets of Rome in a parade where everybody chanting and singing, and, and he was saying, this is now my wife. I mean, this is this guy, okay? He, he literally got to a point where he stopped doing any kind of body deodorant, and he stopped shaving, and he stopped eating. There's like somebody who continually watches Netflix, okay? I mean, I'm turning into that person, but I have deodorant, and I don't have hair. And so he ended up, you know, he ended up throwing these loud parties. He would go around the city incognito with his armed guards incognito. He would start fights. If he started losing the fights, he would have his guards come and kill those people, okay? He wanted to be able to rebuild Rome, so this is what he did. He went to some of the most wealthy people in the city of Rome and had some of his prefects and governors and so on go to people within the Roman Empire that, that, scanned, that spanned most of the known world at the time. He had them sign over or force them to sign over their inheritance to him, the emperor, to the Roman Empire, and this is like surprising, right? Surprisingly enough, they died soon after freak accident death. And then all of a sudden, he gets the money. Except he really didn't want to be a Roman emperor. You know what Nero really wanted to be? He wanted to be a poet, he wanted to be an actor, he wanted to be a singer. But trust me, he is nothing like Riley. In, in so many ways, he is nothing like Riley. First of all, Riley is not a psychopath serial killer. Second of all, she's a better singer. And so he would have his guards and the Roman soldiers you know, take people by the hundreds and lock them in this theater, not the Colosseum. You know, it wasn't around at that time, but he would lock them into this big amphitheater that looked like the Colosseum, and he would perform songs that he wrote, skits, musicals that he wrote, poetry that he wrote, and he would do that for two to six hours. People would try to leave. The guards wouldn't let them leave. They would try to use the bathroom. They'd say, go in your seat. If they really tried to leave and get past the guards, they would get killed or arrested. Apparently, his performances were so bad that people at the top of the amphitheater threw themselves off to die by suicide. I mean, that's literally how bad he was. People would literally use the bathroom in their seats because they couldn't leave. Okay, this, this is his idea. There's one account where he would actually, he was, he was trying to be strategic with the Senate and how they can defeat an army, and he said, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ride out with, the, with, our, with our army, with our battalion. I'm gonna ride out with them. And everybody's like, maybe he's finally acting like a leader. And then he said, I'm gonna get off my horse. I'm gonna go up to the enemy without any of my guards around me, and I'm going to sing to them. And when I sing to them, they're gonna weep, and they'll bow down, and they'll worship me. And it's about this time that people are like, maybe he's not the right ruler. Like all these other hints, they didn't tell us that. Maybe now we see that he's not the right ruler. So he wanted a new palace, so here's what he did. 
he started, without people knowing it, gangs throughout the city of Rome. And in 64 AD, he started this fire. It was supposed to be a localized fire in a small part of Rome so that he could build a palace there for himself because he had a huge palace, but apparently it wasn't big enough for his ego, right? So he wanted an even bigger one. The fire got out of control and the fire burned 70% of Rome. Hundreds of thousands of people were homeless within a week. That's how long the fire raged. And people immediately blamed Nero. They knew enough about his character. They knew enough about what he was doing. They looked at him and they're like, you did this. And we almost had a lay miserable scene. And Nero's inside of his palace. People are outside, they're angry. And he's with his advisors. He's like, okay, we gotta pin this on somebody. They're, they're gonna know. They're gonna know somehow. And, and nobody really knew about the gangs. They just knew somehow he probably did it. And they're trying to look for a scapegoat. And then all of a sudden, somebody says, hey, Nero, there's this group called, they call themselves Christians. And, and their God is a, is a dead Jewish carpenter who is a rabbi who apparently rose from the dead. And Nero laughed like, oh, they must be pretty cheap. They only have one God. We have how many gods? They just have one? Who is a carpenter and a rabbi? No way. And they're like, well, that's not the half of it. They get together and they're cannibals. They eat and drink blood and flesh. And they say they do this in remembrance of their, of their leader. And he's like, well, that's despicable. That's worse than anything I've ever done. Tell them they did it. And so Nero started the very first persecution of the Christians that, that was government sanctioned, it was localized, it was not as big of a persecution as what happened in the 90s AD when John wrote Revelation under the Roman Emperor Domitian, but Nero started the first localized government sanctioned persecution of the Christians. They threw them to gladiators, they threw them to the lions, they ended up taking them and, and they would light them on fire and put them on a pole so they would light up Nero's gardens at nighttime in the back of his new palace. And he would say things like, never have I seen such a beautiful garden as what I have right now. It was under this persecution, under his persecution actually, that Peter and Paul both lost their lives. Peter was crucified upside down and Paul was beheaded. And, and here, here's the deal, eventually people got sick of him. Believe it or not, eventually, after all of this, after him killing his mom, after him killing his wife, after him killing his mentors, Seneca, his aides, different senators, they finally, all the senators got together and said, we have got to get rid of this guy. And so, they, and, and the guards were tired of him. The army was tired of him. And so the, the, the palace guards started to chase him and he ran with his man wife. They ran to one of his country villas where he died by suicide before they could actually kill him. I mean, that's Nero, that's this guy, that's that, that guy, I mean, that's bad, right? That's really bad. He is one of the most evil, despicable figures in history. And yet, you don't hear a ton about the evil that he did, and yet he stands as one of the most evil uh, people in history, period. And so, in the first century, when the persecution started, Christians in the first century were upset. They didn't know what to do. And so the Christians in Rome wrote a letter to Peter and they asked Peter, what should we do? What do we do when our country is out of control? What do we do when we're facing life or death, whether or not we worship God? What do we do in this moment? And Peter responded 
with a couple different letters, first and second Peter. But specifically, the very first time he responded was in first Peter chapter two. And it's within the context of this persecution and the, and the kind of leader they had that he writes these words. We're gonna look at the first two verses here. First Peter two, 13 through 14. Peter writes to them, be subject or surrender yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, or in the original language, that could be every human authority, every human governmental leader. That's the idea that it carries. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and those who do good. Now, what's interesting is that Paul actually wrote a letter to the Romans we call it the book of Romans, <clears throat> or Paul's epistle to the Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, a few years earlier. And in Romans 13, one through seven, Paul basically writes to them the same thing. And this is before the persecution happened, but he basically said, hey, part of your worship to God is being subject to your leaders, no matter what you think. Now that does not mean that if your leaders try to force you to do evil, that you should do that. No, that's where your faith takes precedent. It does not mean that if they try to force you to deny Jesus, that you should do that. No, your faith takes a precedent right there. But most of the times with us Americans, there's a lot that we complain about. I'm not talking about 2020, and I'm not talking about this year. I'm just saying in the history of the United States of America, there's been a lot that we have complained about, okay? This is not really that big when you look at the longer scheme of things, okay? Now, does this mean that we should never, ever hold our leaders accountable? Yes, I would say as citizens, you know, our first citizenship, if you follow Jesus, should be in God's kingdom, but our second citizenship is here in the United States of America, and as a citizen of a democratic republic, I do believe it is incumbent on me to vote, although I have the freedom not to, and to also hold my leaders accountable. We have that right. I would almost say we have that responsibility. And speaking out about holding them accountable is not the same thing as disrespecting them, as trashing them, as hurling insults, okay? And, and you might say, well, what's the line? Oh, you know, the line, just go to Twitter. Been on Twitter before? It's insane. Been on Facebook? Oh, it gets really ugly at like 1 a.m. Okay, don't go on there at 1 a.m. Better not to go on at all, maybe. You know, maybe watch Cobra Kai, not Facebook. And so look at verses 15 and 16. Here's what, Paul, here's what Peter says. Peter writes, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now right there, when you look at that, he says that this is the will of God, that you should honor your, your, and respect your different leaders. And back in the first century, remember I said that there are rumors going on around all about these Christians? Well, the Christians started the fire. The Christians are cannibals. They gather together and they eat human flesh and they drink human blood in remembrance of their fallen, uh, their fallen leader who they think actually came back to life and is in heaven right now. And Peter's saying, live in such a way that when somebody knows that you're a Christian and they hear their, these rumors, they'd be like, well, that can't be true. That's not who Shirley is. That's not who Ned is over here. That's not, that, that can't be true of them because of how you live. 
I think we really underestimate how we live and the way we treat people, how that can be a huge testimony to Jesus Christ, right? Not just through our words, but through our actions and, and how we treat people. And, and then, like, Peter says something really difficult, and, and honestly, if God gave me an infallible eraser, I would erase this next verse. Now, I know you might not agree with that. I don't agree with that. That's my sinful self-talking. I'm not saying that it's true. I believe it's 100% true. I believe this book is without error. I believe this next verse I'm going to read is without error. I'm just saying it's difficult to follow, and if it wasn't in here, my life would be more simple. Look at verse 17. Here's what Peter writes. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, which are other Christians. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Like, honor everyone? That's kind of like when Jesus said, love everyone. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love your enemies. It's like when Paul says in Romans 13, 8 through 10, after he talks about the government, in Romans 13, 8 through 10, he says, hey, if you love your neighbor, you've kept the whole law. I'm like, love everyone, honor everyone, love your enemies. What about honor some people? I can get on board with that. A few, most of. That's not what he says. He says, honor everyone. And he uses the same word in the original language, honor the emperor. And the word honor, it means to respect. It means to value. It means to hold in high regard. Where you may have issues with the person and with their policies and their actions or what they're doing, but you've got to respect the office. That's part of your worship to God, that's part of my worship to God, no matter who it is. You're like, oh, there's no way. You see who's been president? Do you see who's president? Do you see who's gonna be president? Uh, Yeah, none of them are like Nero. As much as we might like to make somebody who has contrasting political views out to look like that, they aren't. And by the way, if, if you get mad at me, don't get mad at me. Talk to Jesus about it. He's the one that inspired Peter to write it, not me. And look what it says right here. Honor everyone. Got it? Honor the emperor. Mm, got it. Love the brotherhood. And then it says fear God. And that word for fear, you know what it means? It doesn't just mean to be afraid. It carries a deeper meaning than that in the original language. You know what it means? It means to uh, revere It means reverence, it means worship. We honor and respect our leaders, but we worship God, we revere him. It paints a picture of somebody lying prostrate, flat on the ground, worshiping. You may or may not realize this, but the Bible tells you to fear two things. Did you know that? God and nothing. This is what the Bible tells us to fear. God and nothing. Peter's like, if you want to do God's will, here's what you need to do. Honor everyone, okay? Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Why? I get worried about that. How can I do that when I'm worried about that? Here's the thing. You can be concerned about things. You shouldn't be worried. You shouldn't be afraid. You know why? Because God himself is in control. He is powerful. Take a look at Daniel Chapter 2, verses 21 in the Old Testament. This prophet named Daniel writes this, that he changes times, God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Okay? 
In some translations, it means that he make. in some translations it says that he raises up kings and then he takes kings down. That he's so powerful that he can change the times and the seasons. He can do that. And these words are, are echoes of what is written in Psalm 75, verse seven. I love what it says in the New uh, Living Translation. Psalm 75, verse seven, it says, it is God alone who judges, he decides who will rise and who will fall. Now that doesn't mean that we don't have a civic responsibility to, to vote, we do. We have a civic responsibility to vote, we have a civic responsibility to hold our leaders accountable, we have a civic responsibility, I believe, to speak out in a respectful way when we feel that it, that is not going well, that things are wrong, that something is being done, that it's wrong. We have that, I believe, responsibility to speak out. We can exercise that responsibility. We don't have to if we don't want to because that's part of living in this country. We have the freedom to vote or to not to vote, to speak out or not speak out, to hold accountable or not to hold accountable, okay? But do understand this, God is in control, okay? So when you are concerned about your country, when you are facing uncertainty and you're worried about your country, about your society, about your state, about culture, about your city, when you're worried about that, you need to change your mindset. And this is what I think we need to understand today. The perspective is the difference between faith and fear. That your perspective is the difference between faith and between fear. Let me say that one more time for the people watching online or listening after the fact. Your perspective is the difference between faith and fear. Why do you think over and over again, Jesus, you know, through the New Testament, God, through his inspiration of the Bible, says things like, you know, cast your anxiety on me. Let me take care of your fears. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Keep looking to God. Keep focusing on righteous things. Why do you think that is? Because if you are, all, if you are primarily focused on Jesus, does that mean that things aren't gonna be challenging? No, things will be challenging, things will be difficult, but your perspective, you won't be as worried because you know the one who has power and control. Now that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be concerned about things down here. Again, I think we have a responsibility to be because we, I want to try to make this place better. I want to try to help people find Jesus and I want to try to make this place better. I would love it if this place down here looked like that place up there. And a lot of that is done by how we live our lives and how we engage and treat other people and, and even having difficult conversations that we don't want to have. You know, but, but hear me out on this. If, you, if your focus is, is always on, you know, CNN, Fox News, NBC, you know, OAN, you know, these conservative outlets, these progressive outlets, and you're just always watching this down here, of course you're going to be worried and concerned one way or another. You know what else? You're going to be annoying. You really are. You say, Caleb, don't insult me. I'm not, I'm trying to help you. I don't want you to be annoying. We have enough annoying people. We don't need new vintage church people to be annoying. We need new vintage church people to be on fire for Jesus. We need new vintage people to keep their eyes focused on Jesus and glance and pay attention, but your primary focus is on him alone. You know why? Because God is sovereign. And when I say sovereign, I mean that God is completely, unconditionally loving. 
and he can exercise perfectly this unconditional love with justice and redemption and reconciliation. Why? Because it is God and God alone who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-present, everywhere at once. It is only God who is timeless, who can operate inside of time and outside of time together, that he has existence in both. It is only God that is self existence, that he doesn't rely on anything else to exist. He only relies on himself. We need food, we need water, okay? We need, um, we need the Mandalorian, we need Star Wars movies that are good, not like The Last Jedi. These are things that we need to be able to survive in this world, okay? But God himself, he's so powerful, he doesn't need anything but himself. He never was born, he never will die, he just always has been. That's why in the Old Testament, when God's like, what's your name? God says, I am. I am what? No, I am. Who should I tell them to send me? I am. Okay, but what's your name? That is my name. There's no other way to describe me because I am. I, I am not was, I am not will be, I am. That's why Jesus says I'm the first and the last in the book of Revelation. And God can, is the only one who can exercise that responsibility of that sovereignty with perfect love, perfect justice, perfect redemption with all of his attributes. And that's why when we keep our eyes focused on him, it's difficult in this world, but it's a little bit easier when we realize that he has control. So how do we do that? How do we live with this perspective? Three things I want you to do, okay? Here are the three things. Number one, quit freaking out. Don't live as if God isn't in control and honor God by how you pray and talk about your leaders. Let me talk about the first one. Quit freaking out. How do you do that? Here's my advice, okay? Stop it. The words of this TV show, this TV guy, Bob Newhart, just stop it. Some of you need to stop. I mean, seriously. You are so focused on everything going wrong around you and your fears that you're being led by your fears. Fear's not a bad thing, people. If anybody tells you fear is a bad thing, okay, they're a little bit of a moron. I love them, I'm sure. But you know what? God gave you fear for a reason. If you see a rattlesnake, you shouldn't pick it up. You should be afraid. You shouldn't pick it up and put it in your pocket and say, his name is Clarence now, and I'm going to love him and put a collar on him and cuddle him. No, you'll be dead. If you see a mountain lion when you're hiking, you shouldn't try to go to pet it. You just shouldn't. There should be a healthy amount of fear. But fear becomes toxic when it starts leading your everyday decisions and the direction of your life. And you'll be fearful. And you know what? You're going to start living as if God doesn't have control. People should be able to look at your life and say, wow, there's somebody. How can you be this way in the midst of all this chaos? And that gives you a chance to be able to answer and tell people why. You know what I think? I, I think that when we think about God's power over world leaders and governments and countries and so on and nations and empires, I think about the Queen's Gambit. I don't know if you saw that Netflix series or not. It's incredible. It's about this young lady um, who grew up in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and, um, or 50s and 60s at least, and she ended up becoming this grand uh, chess master. And I imagine God sitting at this chessboard with all these pieces, and he moves pieces around on his chessboard, and when he's done with one world leader, takes them off the chessboard. See, God's a grand master. World leaders are pawns in his greater plan. They're good world leaders, 
There are mediocre world leaders and there are bad world leaders, but all of them God uses to be able to work towards his plan. Okay, and we should honor God by how we live our lives, by how we pray, by how we talk about our leaders. And then here's, here's what I want you to understand. If you have this perspective, you will be able to understand this next part as I close here. If the church survived Nero, it will do fine in 2021 and beyond. Let me say that one more time. If the church survived Nero, it will do fine in 2021 and beyond. If the church survived 2020, if the church survived the Crusades, if it survived persecution after persecution, if it has survived nominal Christianity in the West, the church of Jesus will do fine in 2021 and beyond. When I was doing my doctoral study at Dallas Seminary, there was this professor there named Dwight Pentecost. How about that last name? You're kind of like born to be a Christian. That's her last name, Pentecost, you know? I don't know. I'm not going to make a joke there. But anyway, there are many that could be made. I will not do that. But Dwight Pentecost, when I was there, he was like 93 years old, and he was still teaching. Okay, he was like Yoda. His nose had grown. His ears had widened. Hair was coming out of everywhere, and it was frizzled. The only difference was he wasn't green, and he spoke in complete sentences with correct grammar. But he was just like Yoda. He would come into class, we would be there, and he would just open up his Bible without notes, and he would just start teaching. And he was one of the only people I knew in my life, one of two or three people that had the entire Old and New Testament memorized word for word. And he would just start going through the text and teaching it. And, and it was so funny because several times during the semester, it did not matter what class you we were taking with him. It was several times he would have his Bible. And, and at some point in the lecture, usually at the end, he would close his Bible and he would pound on it or he would pound on his, on his uh, lectern here and he would say, God has the right to rule. It's just such a loud voice out of this little man, but he would say, God has the right to rule. He does rule. And men, women, if you learn that, he said, you will be powerful. You will be unstoppable. He would say that throughout this measure, God has the right to rule. God has the right to rule. God rules. You don't. And I'm glad you don't. You'd be a bad ruler. God has the right to rule. And I want you to remember that. Your perspective, it is the difference between faith and fear. Yes, we should speak out. Yes, we should vote. Yes, we should hold our leaders accountable. Yes, we should call out wrongs, but may we never be disrespectful. May we be the people that God wants us to be. May we honor people. May we live as if God really is in control. And we believe that because there's never been a time when God has like gotten up off of his chair and said, I don't know what we're gonna do, I didn't see that coming. Gabriel, get Jesus, Michael, everybody else, conference room, five minutes, we're gonna have a whiteboard session. Gotta come up with a new plan. Look what they're doing, okay? Look what they're doing in New Zealand, look what the Canadians did now. Okay, look what they're doing in Escondido, we gotta figure this out. Okay, you know every time you see God 
in the book of Revelation, especially in the New Testament, but especially in the book of Revelation. You see him in Acts like this and in Revelation and other places. You know what he's doing? Whenever you see God the Father, he's sitting on his throne. He never gets up. You know why? Because a king or a queen, when they sit on their throne, that means they are in charge. He has the right to rule. He does rule. And no matter what happens to this country, read the end of the book. You win. When you're on God's side, you win. Right now, we're gonna partake in communion, what we call communion. If you're not familiar with this, um, we want you to do this. If you're watching live on, on stream right now, live stream, if you're here with us in person, we want you to take communion. Although if you are not a Christian or if you're a Christian and you have stuff on your heart that, that you, you need to deal with and you just don't feel comfortable doing it, feel free not to take communion if you don't want to. Or if you're not a Christian, if you don't want to take communion, feel free not to if you don't want to. But here's the thing. Um, you know, we take communion not because we believe it's the actual flesh and blood of Christ, but because it is symbolic. It is a living metaphor. When we take that cracker and we take this juice, it reminds us that Jesus Christ gave his life for us. It reminds us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, what we call the gospel or the good news, that Jesus came down to earth and he lived an innocent life that we could never live because he, he was he was innocent, whereas we are all sinful and broken to some point. And then he died the death we could never die. He took on all of our sins at once. And when he came out of the grave three days later, and he was raised to the newness of life, physically resurrected, he came to life, but our sins and our shame remain dead in the tomb. And they stayed there. We believe that he stayed here for a while and then he ascended into heaven. We believe that one day he will return as you can read in Revelation 19 through 22 when he will bring justice and redemption to the world. And he will right all the wrongs. He will wipe away every tear. That's what we believe. And when we take communion, we celebrate the fact that God sent his son to die for us that that is assurance, that that is his promise, that we can be saved. I don't know where you are, if you have never named Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're at the end of your rope, watching live, online, here in person, if you're here in person, talk to somebody after the service. If you're live, watching live on stream, online, or if you're listening or watching after the fact, you can contact New Vintage Church this week and we would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. Because we believe that Jesus doesn't eliminate every hardship in your life, but he makes it better because you're not alone. And that's what communion reminds us of. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for this time that we have. Thank you, Lord, that as we prepare to take communion, as we prepare to eat the cracker and drink the juice that we would be thankful and grateful for your son what he did for us Lord I love you it's in your son's name I pray Amen